For it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 Welcome to Grace Bond Ministries. Okay, my turn to sing. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I get scared when I start singing. Huh? Probably. Honestly, I found out that it's such it's so difficult to get a recording on <laughs> YouTube. It takes so long to do it that I've only done a couple of them. I actually got them online. <laughs> it takes forever to get them things on online. Um, so if y'all have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 22. Luke 22. Now I'm talking to, you know, we got the, as soon as I get done preaching, we're going to, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, and I was thinking, I was like, man, I really hope today we sing the old rugged cross or something that has to do to relate to the, the Lord's Supper. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, almost every single song relates to the Lord's Supper in some way, shape, or form. Uh, especially the one uh, Terrell just sang. And we'll get to that here in a second. You know, there's power in the blood. But we get to the significance of the blood. The Bible tells us that the blood is where the life is. We'll see here in a second. But that's what we're going to talk about today. It's the Lord's Supper. We're going to kind of talk about the history. You know, I, I was doing the I Am statements of uh, Jesus. And we still have one more to go. And I plan on doing that. And then I'm probably going to do one more sermon on the I Am statements. But kind of do like a review uh, sermon over all the I Am statements for the last one. But today, the, for some reason this week, the Lord was telling me, he said, preach on Lord's Supper this week. I said, okay. <laughs> and it's kind of weird how that works. It's because you start working on the sermon you think you need to be preaching. And then I, you know, I always wondered that when, when I was under preachers and listening to preachers. Like, how do you come up with these sermons? You know, you say God's given you these sermons. He's telling you what to preach on. <laughs> but how exactly does that happen? And it kind of happens for me. I guess it's probably different for each preacher and how God communicates. But for me, it's like I kind of have an idea of what I want to preach. <laughs> And then when I'm trying to develop that idea into a sermon, it just isn't working. And so I start listening to it, and it's like this, this little small voice in me saying, this is what you need to preach on. This is what you need to preach on. And uh, unfortunately, there has been a few times where I've ignored what that still small voice in me was saying. But today is not one of those days, and I believe he's telling me to preach on this Lord's Supper. And what we're going to get into is kind of the history of it, and we're going to get into... The practical application of what does it mean to us? What does the Lord's Supper mean to us? The history of it, the timing of it, everything. And we're going to really look at how the Lord's Supper is one of the greatest ceremonies. It's like a worship ceremony that we partake in 
today as Christians. And basically, in this ceremony, we worship Jesus by remembering what he did for us, how he did that for us. And then, in the same, this same ceremony, we're also proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. So it's really a deep ceremony. And we're going to look at when this ceremony first started in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to stop in verse 20. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it. Gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So, that's the verses there. Before we get started and, and we kind of dive into these verses, let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, this morning as we come together to worship you, to celebrate you, to discuss the Lord's Supper, Lord, I pray that you help us to understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper, the significance and the importance of it, and really what it means to us. Show us the reverence and the holiness of this Lord's Supper. And God, we just thank you again as we start studying this and we remember what you did for us. We just thank you for the sacrifice that you made. How you gave up your own life for us in order that we could have life. And God, I pray that you help us remember this simple truth. That you died, but you're not dead. You were resurrected. And that because you're resurrected, we can be resurrected as well. So God, I just pray that you help us to remember that through all of life's problems, Lord. And we, we face our daily problems. pray that you help us remember what's really important, which is the resurrection of life. And how you give it even more abundantly. And we just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the first things we see here in this passage is that God's timing, you start getting to the Passover and the Lord's Supper and the end of Jesus' life and really all of Jesus' life, you see that there is this perfect timing, perfect timing of, of Jesus and of God and, and God's will in Jesus' life. It's kind of interesting in the passage before this, he talks about them going into a town and and the timing's kind of perfect. They find this guy who walking around with, uh, yeah, a guy walking around with a water jug, and then they go. They have a, he has a place for them to meet and have the Passover meal with just Jesus and his disciples. So it's pretty cool. Just you see constantly this perfect will of God being acted out in Jesus's life. But first, we're going to get into our first topic of discussion here: is that God's timing is always on time, even for us today, including Jesus and. All throughout history, God's timing is always on time. But first, what we're going to get into is, what is the Passover? Let's leave verses 14 and 15. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I fervently desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So what is the Passover? Look back at verse 7, early on in this chapter. It says, In the day of unleavened bread came, when the Passover lamb had to be sacrifice so it's basically this celebration meal 
uh, talking about something that happened in Exodus. Um, so let's look, let's look back at Exodus real quick, get the context here. If you want to turn over there with me, you're going to look at the, really how the Passover meal started, this remembrance started of how Jesus passed over for them. Uh, in Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 27. It says that Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and brush the lintel in the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until, until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and seize the blood of the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not... Let the destroyer, destroyer enter your houses to strike you. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshipped. When the Israelites went and did this, they did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So the Passover meal, the Passover festival was to celebrate and to remember what God did for them back in the Exodus. The last plague when, Jesus, when uh, God struck the firstborn and killed the firstborn of every person in Egypt. In order that the Israelites would be freed from Pharaoh. And so they have this memorial ceremony that, and you know, this, this ceremony still applies to us too, because even though here it's talking about the Israelites and talking about his protection over the Israelites and how he worked in the Israelites' life and how he treated the people who he claimed as his own, we see the same thing with us. You know, as Christians today, as believers in God, believers in Jesus, God still treats us the same way. He protects us. He is our protection from anything that is not good for us. It's very important here that they're protected by the blood sacrifice. And so when it comes back to Luke, and y'all can go ahead and turn back over there if you turn with me to Exodus. But you know, when it comes back to Luke, he talks about, and the Gospels talk about how Jesus shed his blood and things like that. So that's going to be important to remember here in the next coming verses. But what, what great knowledge is that? That God loved his people so much that he protected them. He, he actually, you know, a lot of people would think, well, if somebody were to kill a baby, I mean, we think of abortions and we think if you kill a baby, that, that is very morally wrong. <laughs> they look at Jesus and Jesus did it not because he hated the babies, not because he's the same people that are saying abortion's okay and things like that. And it's okay to kill babies. But he did it to protect his people. He did it for his people. And he did it because the sins of, the, of Pharaoh and things like that and for disobeying God. And there's a lot, lot to that as well. But he loves people so much that he protected them by this blood sacrifice. And now Christians, we think of a blood sacrifice, we think of the blood of Jesus. And ever since then, the Jewish people, even today, still obey what God told them to do in remembrance of what God did for the Jewish people that day. That's how we get the Passover. But, you know, you go back to Luke. And so what's so amazing about 
the death of Jesus? What's so amazing about the Passover? And how does this work with God's timing? Because during the Passover, they would have to sacrifice this lamb. They would have to shed its blood in order to remember the shedding of blood back in Exodus when all these things first happened. What was so amazing is that they're celebrating this Passover and at the same time, Jesus dies during the Passover almost like in substitution of the lamb that was supposed to be sacrificed. That's really what he is. He's the lamb of God that was sacrificed. His blood was shed in order to give life, protect life. So Jesus, this Passover is a lot different than any other Passover because this time it's a man, a God man, who gave up his life and shed his own blood in order that we could be saved and we can receive salvation in life. And so you see in all that that God's timing is perfect. You see in, in the Gospels that God's timing is perfect. You see in our own lives that God's timing is perfect. But then you look at uh, verse 15. He says that he fervently desired to eat this Passover with his disciples before he suffered. He fervently desired to have this moment of relaxation. This moment with what he calls his friends. What he calls his brothers, sisters, mothers. All these people he calls them. He fervently desired to eat with them before he was to suffer and give up his life. You know, it says that he fervently desired with them. You know, think about that with us. You know, as Christians, what God really wants, what Jesus really wants is a desire, is a, is a personal relationship with him. So when we become Christians, I think that Christ, even today, still desires this fervent relationship with us constantly but we know here that's not the main focus of this passage the main focus is really the lord's supper and what's about to happen the significance of it but you know sometimes you know we get back into the timing of god as christians today i mean trusting in god's timing is not the easiest thing in the world is it <laughs> i mean it's one of the toughest things i've had to deal with with just various things i remember in high school the weird awkward kid i used to be and i remember I remember telling this one girl, for some reason, I told her, I said, I just don't know if I'm ever going to find a girlfriend. I don't know if I'm ever going to find a wife and things like that. And then I got to school, people were telling me the same thing, coming to me for advice. You know, I was looking for a girlfriend, mainly a wife, couldn't find it. But if I would have known, if the, hey, somebody would have said, hey, Jonathan, you just wait, you know, your first semester of college, you're going to meet a girl, and then two years later, you'll marry <laughs> But I wasn't thinking about that, even if somebody would have told me that. I would have, I would have said, ah, that's, that sounds like crazy talk. But most of the time, if you really think about the will of God, the timing of God, a lot of times it just takes patience. If you just wait for God's timing to be shown. So although God's timing is always on time, we also see instances in the Bible, which I don't have much time to get into today, but we see instances in the Bible where God's timing sometimes can get messed up by sin and individuals interfering with it. That's why I, I, I'm starting to kind of develop this belief that there is a perfect will of God that can get corrupted by man's evil sins and, and evil desires and things like that. And you have to look at all of Scripture to get that. But it's interesting, though. You see where, like in Jesus' life, the will of God is perfect, 100% perfect. Nothing corrupts it. But you see in others' lives, it's not, you see that it's not necessarily what God wanted and that he thought would be best for that person. Because of some of the decisions they made. But anyways, I think that still applies to us today. Then we look at these next couple of verses. You know, one thing about the death of Jesus is we have, is we are, we're given this future hope because of the death of Jesus. 
Verses 16 through 18 says, For I tell you, Jesus, Jesus talking, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said this, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So on this day, Jesus partook of his last supper. Now, some people call this the Lord's last supper. Some people call it the first Lord's supper because at this event, it was the last time that Jesus would fellowship with his disciples before his, before his uh, death. And he fellowship with them after his resurrection. But before his death, this was his last supper. But it's really not his last. He says in the, in the end... He's going to fellowship with us. He'll have a, another feast, another, uh, another meal, another, another time to do this and, and partake in this relationship, in this uh, festival, in this, in this gathering together. And we see that in Revelation. So although, you know, we, you think back to this and Jesus did have a bodily resurrection. He appeared to the, decide the apostles and everybody. And, you know, hundreds of people. But really think about it. Jesus is not actually physically with us anymore. He's spiritually with us. You know, he gave us the Holy Spirit, the comforter. For some reason, is, uh, uh, Muslims, can, they interpret the comforter as Muhammad. <laughs> but it's very clear in scripture that the comforter, the paraclete, is the Holy Spirit who enters our lives. And who came after Jesus ascended back into heaven. He came on the disciples and he's been around ever since, ever since, living in each individual believer's life, making each individual the temple of God. But even though Jesus isn't physically on the earth with us anymore, he's still spiritually on the earth. But then one day he will be physically with us again. So imagine that day. Imagine the day when we have the opportunity to feast with our Lord and Savior in all these people we talked about in the Bible, Moses, Abraham, Paul, John the Apostle, all these guys, and all the great women of the Bible, and all believers of all time that have passed on. We have to have a feast with everyone who believes in Jesus Christ one day. There we look at uh, verses 19 through 20. Now we're getting into the Lord's Supper ceremony. So if these great events, if the sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, it's great that we have some kind of way to remember these events. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, and he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So how can we remember these great events of Jesus Christ through the Lord's Supper that we're going to partake in later after this sermon? And as we still partake in today, 2,000 years later, to remember what Jesus did for us. So while the Passover was a remembrance for what God did to, for the Israelites back in Exodus, now we have the Lord's Supper to remember what Jesus did for all humankind 2,000 years ago. Now we look and see, he says that the bread is his body, which was given for you, for us. So how is Jesus the bread? Big, huge debate throughout history. You start looking into 
history and transubstantiation, consubstantiation. Does the bread become the actual body of Christ and things like that? But it's, it seems like it's just symbolic. You remember back in uh, the, our first I am statement we ever did. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 35. says, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. When Jesus says he's the bread of life, he is the sacrifice. He's given up his body. This bread represents his body that he gave up for us that day on the cross. And remember, he, he sacrificed his own body in place of that sacrificial lamb. If you ever wonder why we don't sacrifice lambs anymore. <laughs> he suffered tremendously, too. You ever get any of those articles that talks about the suffering of Jesus? I mean, sometimes they're, I mean, they're too tough to even read through. Or you see a movie, Passion of the Christ, or some of these shows, and you just see the struggle that he would have went through. And that probably doesn't even compare to what he actually went through. He did all that for us. Then we, then we get to his blood. You know, we drink the grape juice and some in symbolism of his blood that he shed for us. This is the passage I was getting to here. You don't have to turn with me if you don't want to, but Leviticus 17, 11. I actually caught this the other day. I was doing my devotion. I was praying to God. I said, God, I need a, I want to get, I want a book to read through for my devotion time. And, so we read through Leviticus <laughs> and I had no idea why <laughs> it's usually not everybody's favorite book in the Bible. There's a lot of laws and a lot of technicality in it, but Leviticus 17, 11, I saw something very interesting immediately made me think of Jesus Christ because it said for the life of a creature is in the blood and I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. Inside of Jesus' blood is the life. He gave up that life in order that we could have life. But then we get an even deeper truth. Is that even though he gave up this blood, his life, that he was resurrected and still has even a greater life. <laughs> and Satan, once again, is not triumphant. And now there's this really deep passage. Now I'm in actually in a Romans class. We're actually in uh, Paul's writings class. We're focusing on the book of Romans because it's just so deep and there's so much in it. And we're going to, I think in the class, we're probably also going to uh, talk about some deeper, I mean, some, uh, some of his theology across all of his letters, things like that. But Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, very interesting passage about, about the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, all right here in this passage, there's Paul's commentary on it, Paul's inspired commentary on it. We know that all scripture is God-breathed, as Timothy tells us, as Paul tells us. But starting in, um, start in verse 6, I just want to read through this. It's a very deep passage. I highly suggest just going through it real slow and just seeing what is Paul saying here? What is Paul saying here? Starting in verse 6, it says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
How much more then, since we now have been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Therefore, as justice had entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift, which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass death reigned throughout, through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then as though one trespass, there is no condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a significance in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul explains it to us. As clear as he possibly can. And Paul mentions also that some of the stuff we, we can't necessarily understand because we can't speak in heavenly terms. <laughs> but as death entered through the sin of Adam and was transferred to all of humankind, because, I mean, after all, all humankind sins, through one man, Jesus Christ, all those sins were reconciled, all those sins were justified in the eyes of God. So that we could have eternal life and righteousness. Again, I suggest going through that passage very slowly. Maybe even grabbing a commentary if you can and just looking at some other people's thoughts. Or look up YouTube videos. You can find YouTube videos from many different uh, preachers and pastors talking about this deep passage and very deep things in Romans. Even without this passage. But the significance of the crucifixion. The significance of Jesus' sacrifice is found right here in Paul's writings. And one of the, the most important things to remember when it comes to the Lord's Supper is that when we celebrate this Lord's Supper, we're also celebrating the life that we have through Jesus' sacrifice. We're celebrating the resurrection that we've had. Paul talks a lot about being crucified to the old self and being renewed to a new person. We, we kind of crucified our old way of thinking, our old worldview of looking at the world. But now we have God's eyes of looking at the world. And it's really cool how it all just comes together. So Christ gave up his life for us and shed his blood in order that we could be saved. So as we partake in the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating and remembering the awesome sacrifice from Jesus. How one man could die and save the entire world. 
something that no man deserved. And he did all of this while we were still sinners. <laughs> knowing that we would all fail, knowing that we would all still not be good all the time, we wouldn't be perfect, he still died for us. Because as Paul says, it's a lot easier to give your, your life up for somebody who's doing good or somebody who's just. But for somebody who's unjust, it's a little more difficult. <laughs> like it'd, be, it'd be a little bit difficult for me to give my life up to some <laughs> liberal people I know. But isn't that kind of what Jesus did? He gave, he gave up his life for people that were unjust like us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and stop there. Um, and Paul also has some good writings on it as well, which I don't have time to go over right now. But Paul talks about the Lord's Supper as well in 1 Corinthians 11. That's why it's, it's always my favorite verse because this is after Christ, after the resurrection. And Paul, an apostle of Christ, is talking about it and uh, some of the things to do with it and some of the uh, requirements for, for partaking in it. But uh, let me just close with a word of prayer and then we'll have an invitation song and then we'll celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dear God, we just thank you again, Lord. We, just, we really just can't thank you enough for what you did for us. How you gave up your life, how you shed your blood for sinners like all of us in here. And God, as compared to you, I mean, we are the worst of the worst, Lord. That you still died for us. You still justified us. You still gave us righteousness. You gave us life more abundantly. Starting at the day of our conversion, Lord, we received this life and we just thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for making Christianity one of the most different religions in the world. Because you came and gave up your life for us in order that we could be saved. And we don't have to do it by works. We thank you for that. Thank you for giving us this free gift of justification, this free gift of eternal life. And I just pray as we partake of this holy and reverent Lord's Supper, Lord, I just pray you help us to remember that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Dear God, once again, we just give thanks to you for this moment that we have to celebrate you and we just thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for our many blessings. And just thank you for this ready remembrance of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Al, you want to close in the prayer? Okay. God, thank you for today and thank you for giving us each other to share these times with God. Thank you for giving your son to die on the cross for us and give us salvation so we may spend eternity with you. And just thank you so much for everything you do for us day in and day out. I pray that you keep your hand over us this week and uh, keep us all safe and healthy and um, away from the pollen. I pray that you allow us to have a good week this week and um, help us to be productive and motivated to what you have to do or you have for us to do, God. Um, show us what you want us to do for your kingdom this week. In your precious name, amen. Amen. <coughs>
Thank you so much for watching the Grace Bond Ministries podcast or listening to the podcast. Uh, I know there's various ways that you could be listening to this right now or watching this right now, uh, but I just want to say thank you so much. And uh, if you would, uh, wherever you're listening, if you're listening on YouTube, you know, subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, podcast, please you know, leave a five-star review and uh, write a little thing in there. If you're on Facebook, you know, leave a comment. Uh, let me know how this impacted you or uh, even any other questions or comments or concerns you may have. Um, and also, if you have an idea or you have something you'd really want to talk more uh, deeply about, you can always email me at gracebondministries at gmail.com. But thank you so much. Remember, for it is by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God. Thank you for listening to Grace Bond Ministries.